I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We're mad as hell, and we ain't going to take it anymore. No justice, no peace. We're mad as hell, and we ain't going to take it anymore. No justice, no peace. Greetings, this is podcast number 33 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today we have three segments. First, we'll expose how right-wingers are trying to cover up the increased human misery, suffering, and death they cause. Second, we'll listen to some strong words of anti-militarism from a mystery politician. Will you be able to guess who it is? Third, a listener comments on last podcast's subject, Martin Luther King's Beyond Vietnam speech. Included will be a compare and contrast audio clip of a present-day, allegedly Christian leader. Let's get right into the first segment. By way of introduction, let's remember that every year under George W. Bush, Poverty has gone up, in absolute numbers and as a percentage of the population. The number of people without health insurance has gone up, in absolute numbers and as a percentage of the population. And most incriminatingly, for the first time in decades, in 2002, the infant mortality rate didn't decrease, but went up under Bush. We did a worse job in 2002 protecting the health of our newborns than we did the year before. The Bushians want to make it harder to measure this increased human misery, suffering, and death they cause. So they try to eliminate government surveys and the like which calculate such things. We'll go over four such examples where the Bushians have tried to prevent us from knowing the harm they're causing or allowing to continue. The areas involved are poverty, employment discrimination against women, mass layoffs, and IRS audits. First, poverty. This information comes from an article by Abid Aslam on OneWorld.net and from a New York Times editorial. In 1978, under Jimmy Carter, The Census Bureau started developing a survey to measure the effects of social safety net programs such as temporary assistance for needy families, Social Security, Medicaid, unemployment insurance, and the like. It's called the Survey of Income and Program Participation, abbreviation SIPP, S-I-P-P. How does it work? It, quote, questions thousands of the same people every four months for two to four years and gathers details about their lives, including their use of government aid. It is particularly valuable for the way it uncovers the actual effects of government programs and the way people move in and out of them, 
Most other polls simply capture data at a given point in time. Close quote. Heather Boucher, an economist at the Center for Economic and Policy Research based in Washington, D.C., said, quote, We need to know what the effects of these programs are on American families. Close quote. Another group of experts said that the SIP survey, quote, provides a constant stream of in-depth data that enables government, academic, and independent researchers to evaluate the effectiveness and improve the efficiency of several hundred billion dollars in spending on social programs. Close quote. What are some examples of how this survey has been helpful? Number one, Boucher said that, quote, the survey revealed that school lunch programs were missing many children whose parents were unemployed for a couple of months or longer, pointing the way to improvements in those programs. Close quote. Number two, the New York Times editorial points out, quote, take welfare reform, for example. Rather than evaluating it simply by the number of people on welfare before and after, researchers using the survey have isolated the factors social, economic, and personal that have allowed some men and women to successfully leave welfare for work and the factors that caused others to fall into deeper poverty. Such information is vital to build on what works, to amend what doesn't, and to allocate scarce government resources accordingly." Close quote. Number three. Even Congress recognizes the effectiveness and usefulness of the SIP survey. The 1996 welfare reform law specifically mentions the survey as the best means to evaluate the law's effectiveness. So, faced with a useful, even critical tool to evaluate government efforts to reduce human misery, suffering, and death, to help the Matthew 25 least of these what do the Bushians do? Expand that survey? Make the tool more powerful? Of course not! Bush's proposed fiscal 2007 budget eliminates the survey. Now we know the real goal of the right wing is to destroy the social safety net, to eliminate it, to, as Republican strategist guru Grover Norquist put it, shrink government down to a size where he can put it in the bathtub and drown it. As the right wing's head cheerleader boasts, Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. But right wingers won't usually admit this. They always claim they're just streamlining, improving, etc. In connection with the SIP survey, quote, Supporters of elimination say the program costs too much at $40 million per year. Rather, they would kill it in September and eventually replace it with a scaled-down version. That would run to $9 million in development costs during the coming fiscal year actual data collection would begin in 2009, close quote. Gee, they kill it in 06 
and the new one doesn't start until 2009. And we know how deadlines are so often kept. So for three years, and likely longer, we won't have this data. How convenient that for three years, the right wing can continue to cause increased human misery, suffering, and death by continuing their draconian cuts in social safety net programs, and some of the measuring tools to determine the level of that damage won't be around. And even when the new survey does start in its streamlined version, it will obviously be less useful, less extensive as a measuring tool. Right-wingers clearly know that one way to destroy the social safety net is to prevent the existence of a problem from ever coming to light. The social safety net can't address a problem that it doesn't know about. As the New York Times editorial put it, quote, Getting rid of the survey this year, as the new budget proposes, would make it very difficult to study the fallout from deep cuts in food stamps, child care, Medicaid, and other programs for the poor that Congress passed and Mr. Bush signed last month. That would be great for politicians who don't want to be held accountable, but it would be a big loss for anyone who wants government to work well. Close quote. But right-wingers don't want government to work well, at least when it comes to social and economic justice functions. They don't want it to work at all there. Now, like with the Medicare prescription drug fiasco, the aborted Dubai port steal, and warrantless wiretapping, it's not only Democrats who are trying to block the Bushian evildoing. Several hundred economists and social scientists, both liberal and conservative, signed and sent to Congress a letter asking that the SIP survey be fully funded because it, quote, is the only large-scale survey explicitly designed to analyze the impact of a wide variety of government programs on the well-being of American families, close quote. In the legislative arena, quote, a group of Republicans and Democrats in the House of Representatives reportedly are leading a drive to get lawmakers to sign a similar letter defending the survey." Close quote. Let's hope these efforts are successful. We'll now go on to the other Bushian attempts to keep us all in the dark about their nefarious doings. The second example concerns data on the hiring and firing of women. The Bush administration wanted to prevent the Bureau of Labor Statistics from asking its usual questions about the hiring and firing of women when it collected employment data. The Bushians had to drop that plan because of, quote, pressure from researchers, policy designers, and lawmakers, closed quote. Good for them. The third example concerns statistics on mass layoffs. The Bureau of Labor Statistics every month collects and publishes details about which workplaces with more than 50 employees closed. Federal and state social service agencies use this information extensively. The cost of this survey was $6.6 .6 million a year. Quote, 
the Labor Department, citing a shortage of funding, had said it would do away with the research, close quote. A shortage of funding, huh? Convenient, isn't it, that in a time of mass layoffs due to right-wing style globalization, the $2.7 trillion federal budget can find $6.6 million a year to produce evidence of the effects of this type of globalization. Happily, again, pressure from the, quote, research and public policy communities, close quote, forced the Bushians to continue funding this survey. The fourth example of the Bushians trying to hide what they're doing concerns IRS audit practices. Remember that in Podcast 25, we talked about IRS harassment of the working poor. For example, the Bushians decided that to receive the earned income tax credit, the working poor would, unlike any other class of taxpayer, have to present beforehand extensive documentation of their eligibility. Then to make matters worse, the Bush IRS unjustifiably withheld these credit payments from 1.6 million low-income taxpayers and didn't even tell them about the freeze. In light of this bash-the-poor-in-the-face-with-a-rock behavior, it's not surprising, is it, that the right-wingers want to deny us the data to determine whether they are continuing their favoritism towards the wealthy in the area of audits. The following is based on an article by Sidney Shanberg, published in The Village Voice and a New York Times editorial. Susan Long is a statistics professor at Syracuse University. In 1974, she was writing her dissertation and wanted to see some IRS audit stats. They refused and she sued them. Two years later, she won her case. The court ordered the IRS to provide her with the audit data on an ongoing basis. Okay, for 12 years, the IRS complies. In fact, quote, today, much of what the public knows about the IRS is based on data she has gathered, close quote. Fast forward to April 2004, with the Bushians firmly in control. Professor Long posts data, quote, showing sharply fewer corporate audits in 2003, close quote, and she unfavorably contrasts that data, quote, with public comments in early 2004 by the IRS Commissioner Mark Everson about cracking down on corporate wrongdoing, close quote. By now we're familiar with the right-wing's attitude towards the public's right to know, towards releasing data that puts right-wing policies in a bad light. So yes, you guessed it, all of a sudden a month later, quote, the IRS refused to release figures Professor Long had requested. The IRS says the events aren't connected. First, the agency told Professor Long that it was under no obligation to provide the data. Reminded of the court order, the IRS now says that Professor Long's requests have become excessive and could 
inadvertently reveal the identities of taxpayers. Close quote. Boy, the right-wingers aren't even bothering to come up with good excuses anymore, are they? So it's back to court again, against the IRS, for access to data that should be public. As the New York Times editorial puts it, quote, A motion filed recently in federal court asserts that the agency is defying a long-standing court order requiring it to release audit statistics. The information in question shows how thoroughly the IRS audits corporations and rich taxpayers compared with others, how much time it spends on audits, and how much additional tax is recommended. The figures are crucial in gauging the agency's fairness, efficiency, and effectiveness. Professor Long simply asks the court to enforce its order. She deserves to prevail again. Close quote. So there you have it. This right-wing government wants to hide from the country, hide from the citizenry in whose interests it's supposed to be ruling. Right-wingers want to hide from us all, as much as they can, the fact that more of us are entering the ranks of the poor, that too many women are still being discriminated against in employment, that others of us are being laid off en masse, and that the poor are being unfairly singled out by the IRS for auditing, even though cheating by the super wealthy costs our society far more. With right-wingers, it's clear, what you don't know can and almost certainly will hurt you. Saddam Hussein produced and possessed chemical and biological weapons. Well, there is no question that we have evidence and information that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction, biological and chemical particularly. Simply stated, there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. I want to read you something that a certain politician said. Quote, Every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired signifies in the final sense, a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and are not clothed. Close quote. Can you guess who said it? Probably some girly man liberal, Ann Coulter would say. No, more likely a soft on terrorism Democrat, Sean Hannity would counter. Hold on, O'Reilly would jump in. It's obviously an aiding and abetting the enemy Bush hater. So who's correct? Coulter, Hannity, or O'Reilly? Well, let's listen to the actual politicians speak these words. Every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired signifies, in the final sense, a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and are not clothed. Probably you don't recognize the voice. I wouldn't either. But I'll tell you, he wasn't a girly man liberal, he wasn't a soft on terrorism Democrat, and he sure as heck wasn't an aiding and abetting the enemy type of guy. No, 
He was the supreme commander of Allied forces in World War II, General Dwight David Eisenhower. Speaking on April 16, 1953, as President of the United States. This wasn't a throwaway line by Ike. It was a major theme of his speech. Listen to a bit more. This world in arms is not spending money alone. It is spending the sweat of its laborers, the genius of its scientists, the hopes of its children. The cost of one modern heavy bomber is this, a modern brick school in more than 30 cities. It is two electric power plants, each serving a town of 60,000 population. It is two fine, fully equipped hospitals. It is some 50 miles of concrete pavement. We pay for a single fighter plane with a half million bushels of wheat. We pay for a single destroyer with new homes that could have housed more than 8,000 people. This is not a way of life at all, in any true sense. Under the cloud of threatening war, it is humanity hanging from a cross of iron. Those stats he gave are obviously different now, but the principle remains the same. Humanity hanging from a cross of iron, invoking Christ on the cross to call for less militarism. Yes, the principle is still valid, but what has changed is that it would be a rare politician today indeed who would have the guts to speak like this. Unfortunately, I'm not just talking about Republicans like Eisenhower was, but Democrats as well. And imagine if Hannity and the other present-day right-wingers had had the chance. They would have tried to swift-boat Ike for speaking these words of anti-militarism. What would they have said? Oh, I don't know. Something ludicrous and a blatant lie. Maybe they would have claimed that Ike wasn't really in charge in World War II, that it was really some other officer in the chain of command who came up with the brilliant strategies that won the war, and that Ike was actually against those strategies, and not only doesn't deserve the credit he gets as a war hero, but was really close to being a traitor, or else why would he have opposed effective strategies to defeat our enemies? Yep. After the swift boating of McCain, Carey, and Murtha, I'm quite sure even Ike wouldn't have been beyond the clutches of the right-wing smear machine. After all, right-wing Christians can't tolerate anybody preaching the teachings of Christ, can they? Now a word from another progressive podcaster. What could Democrats be doing differently from what they're doing now in order to win? That is the question we answer on the Underdog Democrat podcast. Find us on the web at underdogdemocrat.com or run a search on iTunes for Underdog Democrat. 
tactics, and strategies for the Democratic Party. Here's a comment from a listener who goes by the name Jerry Rig on the last podcast, which featured excerpts from Martin Luther King's Beyond Vietnam speech. Quote, The combination of morality, courage, and wisdom conveyed in the Vietnam speech is stunning. When you start campaigning for freedom for oppressed people around the world, you are in direct conflict with our government's aims. My best friend and I were talking this morning about nanotechnology and the ethical and moral issues it will raise. And I wondered how could America approach these complexities when we haven't even considered an alternative to killing people who, for whatever reason, displease us. Think about Dr. King and then about Pat Robertson, the Christian symbol for our age. Think about liberal politicians saying, quote, if we were going to invade, we should have sent more troops, close quote. This is equivalent to convicts schooling each other on how to be more effective criminals. Zero recognition about what we've done to innocent people. You think Dr. King would have let this pass without comment? Close quote. No, Jerry Rigg, he certainly wouldn't. You know, when I was planning the Beyond Vietnam podcast, I toyed with the idea of including, for contrast, some recent comments by Pat Robertson. But when I was recording the actual podcast, listening to one Martin Luther King excerpt after another created such an aura of goodness and decency and godliness that I decided playing Robertson at that point would be almost blasphemous not to mention cruel and unusual punishment to my listeners. Today, however, I think we can safely use just two quick audio clips to drive home the point Jerry Rigg made. We'll compare and contrast what Martin Luther King said about being on the correct side of the struggle of the third world poor as opposed to Pat Robertson's recent ugliness regarding Hugo Chavez, one of the present-day leaders in the struggle of the third world poor. After I play these two clips, no further comment will be necessary. These are revolutionary times. All over the globe, men are revolting against old systems of exploitation and oppression. And out of the wounds of a frail world, new systems of justice and equality are being born. The shirtless and barefoot people of the land are rising up as never before. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. We in the West must support these revolutions. He's going to make that a launching pad for communist infiltration and, and uh, Muslim extremism all over the continent. You know, I don't know about this doctrine of assassination, but if he thinks we're trying to assassinate him, I think that we really ought to go ahead and do it. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you liked what you heard, as always, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. They can easily sign up for iTunes on my podcast homepage. Also, 
there's a box to put in their email address so they can be notified by email whenever there's a new podcast episode posted. Music credits. We open with a bit of Peter Finch playing Howard Beale in the classic film Network, followed by Wacky Avelli's No Justice, No Peace. Wacky Avelli is at wackyavelli.com. Bumper music was Catapult the Propaganda by Nye's Music, N-I-S-E music.com. As well as Not the One Blues by Burnsheet Thornside. He's at magnatune.com. And we'll close the podcast with a little bit of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to Taking My Country Back as well as to all the other music I play on the Blast the Right podcast, can be found on my music resources page, which is linked to off the main podcast homepage. Thanks to the Miller Center at the University of Virginia for the Eisenhower clips. Thanks to AmericanRhetoric.com for the Martin Luther King clip. And as always, thanks to Tom Hartman for the Rush Limbaugh clip. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page, linked to off the main podcast homepage. I love to get all your comments pro and con, so write to me, rational at adelphia.net. You can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on the podcast. Dial 310-933-5891. If you're on Skype, you can reach me at Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing, misguided souls. This is an impressive crowd, the haves and the (laughs) have-mores. Some people call you the elite. I call you my base. We had a bundle in the treasury drawer More than there had ever been before But every day we're drowning deeper in debt Maybe four years should be all you get Then you gave tax breaks to the millionaires And you tried to make the working man pay But you can't tax a man when his job's not there Look at where we are today Hey, I'm taking my country back Son, you ain't been doing her right Oh, I've been watching you and I don't like How you've been treating my stars and stripes you got too many fancy friends for me The Saudis treat you like you're wrong